Welcome to the Masters in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we we welcome Dr. Adriana Popescu to the show. Dr. Popescu is a licensed clinical psychologist, addiction specialist, and empowerment coach with over 25 years of experience in the mental health field. She is also a certified hypnotherapist, brain spotting practitioner, access consciousness facilitator, and neuro-emotional technique practitioner. Today, we will learn more about her academic journey and experiences leading to her opening a thriving and successful business in California, which is creating a life of infinite possibilities for her clients. Dr. Popescu, welcome to our show. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here with you all today. Thank you. Thank you. And and I appreciate your patience with me uh, pronouncing your name correctly. It's uh, it's a mouthful. Okay. My whole life I've been dealing with it. No worries. (laughs) Well, I wanted to kind of give you a heads up. We usually go through kind of your uh, um, career academic journey first, and then we start talking about your passions and and you have a lot of passions uh, based on our discussions and, and my research. So to start us off, go ahead and just Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist, an addiction and trauma specialist, and an empowerment coach based out of San Francisco, California, but also working with people worldwide. Um, My journey, actually, I was one of the lucky ones who really knew early on that I wanted to do this work. Um, My dad was a doctor, so I was already kind of oriented toward healing arts and um, figured I'd be a doctor just like him. Um, And when he passed away when I was a teenager, um, I realized like I wanted to actually go into psychiatry. That was my original plan. Psychiatry, because I wanted to help people with their problems because when I was a kid going through those things and there had been a really messy, ugly divorce prior to that and some other things, there was no one there for me. There was no one there to talk to none of my friends had gone through what I'd been through. And so I wanted to be, and then naturally people would gravitate towards me, you know, when I was growing up and, and sought my comfort and advice and whatever. So I was like, Oh, I can get paid to do this. Cool. I'm going to do that. So, um, I ended up, uh, going, so I grew up on the East coast, New York. I ended up going to Dartmouth for my undergrad and started pre-med and, um, (laughs) You know, it's, uh, I was pretty deep into it about two and a half years and it was organic. It was the combination of organic chemistry, which is the worst class ever. And, um, actually starting to have internships in the field where I've realized that, oh, psychiatry isn't doing therapy with people anymore. It's actually mostly just prescribing meds these days. I don't want to do that. And if med school is like organic chemistry, I don't want to do that either. So I changed course and realized, okay, I could do a PhD in psychology. And that was my plan. And then um, after college, I was going to take a year off. I needed a break. Um, Some friends of mine's parents got a house in Vail, Colorado. And say, we're going to go there for the winter. You can stay for free in a house in Vail on the mountain. I'm like, of course, I'll be there. (laughs) Um, but that choice was a very fateful choice because it really changed the course of my life. Um, I ended up actually staying in Colorado five years and, um, became really, really ill in that time. 
and they didn't, the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and so I got really depressed. I got really sick and um, decided to go to massage therapy school in Boulder, Colorado, because I just had this intuitive knowing that I needed to find out what else was going on with my body and to under, better understand bodies. I was kind of like always in my head. I didn't even realize like I had a body from the neck down. Um, and that's what really opened me up to the holistic and alternative kinds of approaches. It turns out, um, I found out 13 years into this thing, I found out that what I actually have was Lyme disease with chronic fatigue syndrome. And so really my, it was my journey towards health and wellness that put me on this track, um, of the alternative therapies and, and spirituality, um, because that was definitely a dark night of the soul for me to go through all that and very much like a crisis. Um, I would call it a spiritual crisis um, and where life had become sort of empty and meaningless and I was trying to find my purpose. Um, so going through all that myself is what exposed me to all the different therapies that I use today in my practice. Well, there you have it. That was a nice summary and overview of, of what we're going to talk about today. I, th I thank you for that. Yeah. Um, it sounds like... Uh, even though it was unfortunate that you had to go through those, uh, that time period, it actually pushed you in the right direction, um, where it helped you realize, Hey, what else can I do for myself and for others and how you're integrating that into your business today as well? Yes. All the techniques I use on my, with my clients are the ones I've used on myself that I have found most powerful and effective in clearing just about anything, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, there's no real disconnect. You can't, um, those things aren't separate, right? They're all connected. So if you're dealing with a condition like depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD, addiction, you have to look at it from all four angles and really address all of that. And in our fragmented healthcare system, we don't do that. You go to the doctor for this, you go to the counselor, the pastor or priest for that, you know, and um, the fact that now we have these uh, techniques we can use as a psych, you know, psychologist, I can use those in my practice and I can do energy work with people and stuff is really amazing um, and much more powerful. Yeah. And as we were talking about before we uh, started the podcast here, we are seeing that trend change a little bit instead of just the traditional client approach and just looking at the uh, patient client we're going outside of that and bringing in more of the Eastern, you know, methods, uh, and that holistic approach. And I'm glad that we're doing that. I wish the system would catch up in terms of insurance and, and talking to each other in the, in the system and the billing system for, to be able to allow us to actually truly take that holistic approach. Cause you know, as well as I do, some of that is covered by insurance. Others is, you know, uh, isn't. And then, um, it would be nice if everybody could take that holistic approach. It almost seems like the United States is far, far behind compared to some other countries when it comes to, you know, that, uh, that view of that holistic approach, wouldn't you say? Yes. Um, and I would also say that I have been pretty successful at being able to do what I want to do with my clients um, in a, more of a private pay private practice kind of setting. Um, you tend to run into that stuff a little bit more of a challenge, maybe in like, uh, like the rehab program where I work, you know, insurance companies are very deep in, you know, what you're doing, but 
Nowadays, um, there's also a huge body of research supporting energy psychology methods in particular. There's over 250 published studies at this point, um, and it has been approved as an evidence-based practice. So that's always a good thing, um, you know, for uh, insurance reimbursement is if it has that stamp of approval as an evidence-based practice, you can use it and bill it. And um, for me in my private practice, I don't take insurance, um, but clients do, I will give clients a super bill for, you know, out of network. And as long as they have that diagnosis code and the proper procedure code, they can, you know, I get reimbursed for treating their mental health diagnosis. And I don't get asked questions, knock on wood. I haven't been audited yet by an insurance company asking questions about what I'm doing. So, yeah. Well, that's good to know. I, uh, I know that it takes some time for uh, certain approaches and certain services to be, you know, um, green lighted, so to speak, or, or approved. Uh, before we start talking about some of those approaches that you mentioned, I kind of want to, for our audience, understand a little bit more about your education. You mentioned that you went to uh, Dartmouth College. Uh, was that for your bachelor's? Yeah. My, okay. I got to be in psychology, very traditional, you know, education. I mean, it was useful. I, you know, definitely learned a lot, um, but it definitely didn't, an undergraduate degree in psychology doesn't teach you like how to be a therapist, you know, it's just a, it's just an overview to get you started. Right, right. And then, as you mentioned, you went to Colorado, uh, went through a series of events that altered your plans. And when you originally went to Colorado, what were those original plans and how were they altered? I mean, I know why they were altered because of yeah. your experiences, but what was your original plan when you went to Colorado? Well, I was going to take a year off and then apply to grad schools. And I even was looking at, you know, traditional, um, the types of PhD programs that are kind of researcher clinician. Because I, and part of the reason I wanted a PhD is because I knew I wanted to do different things. I didn't just want to see clients in private practice. That was actually never my aim. I wanted to be able to teach. I wanted to do research. I wanted to be able to do clinical work. I just wanted more possibilities. But I was looking at like state schools or um, universities where, you know, the, your education's paid for and you, you know, maybe work with a professor and you do research and that kind of thing. Um, so it was pretty still, I was still in the traditional mindset and then getting sick and then going to massage school um, opened up a whole nother world. And synchronistically, I ended up um, seeing uh, an ad somewhere in some like new agey kind of journal or something uh, magazine for a school in California called ITP, the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. And that just like lit my world up. I mean, it was sort of one of those moments where you just know. And I had friends in California. So I took a trip out here and um, had an interview at the school. And I mean, we sat cross-legged in a room, um, you know, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I thought California is not bad. I had considered coming out here for college anyways, like wh why not? And so I ended up applying and getting into uh, the PhD in transpersonal psychology, where you get a master's along the way. The master's was in counseling psychology. Okay. After three years. And how long ago did you finish up with your PhD over at the ITP, which I believe is now called Sophia University? Yes. Yes. After I left, they went through a whole thing and, you know, the ownership changed and a lot of upheaval. But at the time I graduated, my degrees from ITP. 
and it was in 2006. So it took me, they said, you know, the program's five years, but it took eight and a half years for me um, Mm -hmm. for a few different reasons. One, um, I was not financially able, like I had some money going into it that I had inherited from my dad when he died um, that managed to cover my expenses. So I didn't have to work the first three years and then the money ran out and I had to start working full time. So that was part of it. Another thing was I got in a really bad car accident that kind of messed up my neck and shoulders. So typing was hard. Then there was a, a problem with my dissertation dissertation chair and he got let go from the from the school. So I had to start all over with a new person. So there were like things along the way that made that process a lot longer. So the one piece of advice I would have for people considering a PhD program and anything, but especially psychology is one, it's way more intense and time consuming than you ever imagined. Like I thought it would be easier to get a PhD than go to med school. I wouldn't say that now. And I would really urge people to consider if that's the route you want to take. Like, what do you really want to do with a PhD? Is if you just want to like do therapy with people, you can easily do that with a master's and it's a lot less work. Writing a dissertation, which is for me was like a 200 page paper. It's a book. It's this thick was such an ordeal. And so many people drop out and don't finish their dissertations. Um, And in my class of 31 people, I don't even know how many actually graduated with a PhD, but I'm going to guess it's 10 or less. And in the five years, only three people um, were able to get their degree in five years because they were financially supported by someone else. They knew what topic they wanted to write their dissertation on from the beginning and they got a really early head start. But for me, it took eight and a half years. So I finished in 2006. <laughs> okay. And you started to say some recommendations and advice for those who want to finish their PhD or go for their PhD. Um, another thing that I'd add is depending on where you want to practice or what you want to do, um, find a program that is APA accredited as well. Um, any other um, bits of advice or thoughts? Well, on mine that? wasn't. Um, So actually, I would, I I might disagree with that. I actually don't think APA approval is necessary. But again, depends on where you are. Mm -hmm. Because it depends, look up the licensure laws first, California does not require APA approved schools or internships in order to get licensed here. Um, Ours, our school was WASC approved, which is Western Association accreditation, whatever, and that was sufficient. So I've never had a problem not coming from a school that was APA approved. However, it would be a problem if I wanted to work for somewhere like the VA. Mm -hmm. Um, And some placements, some organizations only hire people who have that APA approval. But I'll tell you something else that I didn't expect either that I was surprised. Um, I remember when I was looking at jobs um, coming out of grad school that actually having a PhD may be overqualified for a lot of agency jobs, especially nonprofits who can't afford to pay a PhD to do therapy with clients. So they can afford a master's level clinician, a social worker or MFT, or now we have the LPC, you know, credential. But um, I actually was surprised, like the county that I was in, Santa Clara County, I went to a job fair there and they're like, oh yeah, we hardly ever hire psychiatrists or psychologists because they're too expensive. Right. So another thing to be aware of. No, very good points. I, I, you know, after talking with so many different people, each state has their own licensure procedures and requirements. So that's a good point that uh, depending on what field and what you want to do with it, and then where you want to practice really comes into play um, regarding that. So 
Um, I, I, I read throughout your website and, and some of your uh, uh, online social media that you were trained in a, a variety of things. And you kind of alluded to that during that time period. Um, you know, massage therapy, you already mentioned, uh, meditation, chiropractic, muscle testing, uh, and then, of course, nutritional supplements and some other approaches, which we're going to talk about a little later on. Tell me more about how and why you kind of got into more of the Eastern philosophy, the shamanic traditions you mentioned, somatic psychology, and then you even took classes in Aikido and yoga. So it really, it sounds to me like you were just on a search for any kind of way to help improve yourself and then therefore apply these techniques to your clients in the future. Well, it was all offered as part of my grad program. See, okay, so right. like the, the, the degree was in a PhD in transpersonal psychology and I completed the clinical requirements to become licensed as a clinical psychologist um, for the state. But what really uh, appealed to me about ITP was not all those classes. It was the Eastern. It was the fact that we were required to do a year of Aikido and a year of yoga. Um, mm -hmm. creative expression, um, shamanic journeying was, was a class we took. We had group process for two years. I mean, that was <laughs> where, where we were all, you know, working with each other. Um, it was very experiential, especially the first two years were super experiential. Um, I learned, yeah, meditation, altered states of consciousness. I had a class in past life regression. I mean, the they were so influenced their the founders of that school were so influenced by eastern approaches and um well they were one guy was a sufi and the other guy um has been big in the psychedelic you know movement so all and a lot of those professors were around in the 60s and 70s for all of that you know esalen and and um the all of that consciousness expansion that was happening back then so i was drawn to that i that's where my interest and curiosity was and so i wanted to be taught by people who had like discovered those things and done really interesting research and um i learned about like psychic phenomenon which really isn't all that unusual um there's and there's a ton of research on that i didn't know that either until i took a class in it in parapsychology i mean it was super interesting to me um, and much more, uh, much more interesting than some of the traditional psychology classes. Well, it sounds like it. I'm actually interested in a lot of that stuff as well. In retrospect, when you look at your uh, education, and especially when you went into the graduate program, um, what were the most important factors that you were thinking of back then when you selected um, ITP? Well, um, it was that it was what I was interested in. I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't need a big name school. Look, I graduated from an Ivy league school. That's opened a lot of doors for me. Let's be real. I mean, it does. I don't need to prove myself any longer though. Do you know what I mean? I didn't mm -hmm. need a PhD from Stanford. Um, I have my Dartmouth speaks for itself. And so I knew I could do something different and I wanted to, I was also wondering what could I do? Cause I really liked massage school and I liked working with bodies and I liked doing healing with bodies and, and hands-on energy work. And I kept wondering how could I integrate that with what I'm learning in like more traditional, you know, mental health talk therapy, how can those come together? So I kind of had, I probably had that in the back of my mind as well, but it was really, there wasn't a lot of debating about it. It was honestly like, I, I found that ad for ITP. 
I just kind of, it was so synchronistic. I kind of just knew. And once I got to know the school and everything and got in, it was just a yes. I don't even think I applied anywhere else. Okay. Everybody's journey is a little different. So I, I thank you for sharing that. I did notice that you mentioned that you discovered the benefits of energy psychology uh, back in 1999. So for our audience, give us a high level overview of what energy psychology is and, and how you can apply it uh, in today's kind of therapy sessions. And while you're doing that, I'm going to bring up your website on that energy psychology techniques. Yeah. So energy psychology is kind of a broad um, umbrella of different techniques um, that are working with the energy fields of the body. So that includes the meridian systems from traditional Chinese medicine. You have a picture there of the chakras, um, which comes from Indi traditional Indian medicine and um, also the biofield. So the, the aura, and there's a variety of different modalities. Some are hands-on, some are not that are working um, to basically um, clear the energetic blockages and imbalances that are creating the state of dis-ease or discomfort. Because if you go by traditional principles, you know, Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine's been around for 5,000 years. The basic premise is that um, energy or chi flows through our body along these certain pathways. And when it gets disrupted, when it gets imbalanced, disease occurs and the way to restore balance is to rebalance uh, is to you know correct those energetic imbalances and then the body can heal itself so if you went to a traditional chinese medicine with anxiety or depression they wouldn't be talking to you about their about your problems they'd be looking to see how the energy is flowing in, in your body they might look at your tongue and your pulse and some other things and they would be using acupuncture or herbs or something like that right, to balance the, the energy that's out of whack. And that would, that would then alleviate the discomfort that's coming from the anxiety or depression or whatever it is. So a lot of it is based in that principle. And what I liked about that is that, you know, it's like the body has the capacity to heal itself. For where I was at, you know, with my, um, my conditions, like Western medicine had so little for me, all they really could have had to offer me was, well, we could put a pick line in you and put you on IV antibiotics for the next year. And maybe that'll help. And that was so not what I was interested in. And I knew inside that I could heal myself of this thing if I could find the right methods. And so again, synchronistically at the student lounge, one day I found a flyer for an energy psychology conference in San Diego. And again, just knew I had to be there and drove down and um, blew open my whole universe with what I learned there. Yeah, it sounds like it. And then you you've been applying it ever since and you actually started it, started applying it to your uh, doctoral dissertation. Yeah. Uh, I think it was entitled Be Set Free Fast, the use of innovative psychotherapeutic technique to improve self-esteem in a dually diagnosed population. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you if you can remember back then, the <laughs> highlights of your study and what you found. Yeah, you never forget your dissertation. It it haunts you. No, <laughs> um, no it was actually a really cool study. Um, so I had uh, started my internship working at a place called Catholic Charities in San Jose, California. And they had, I don't know, again, I was sort of intuitively drawn to chemical dependency. I knew there were a lot of jobs in that area. And I knew a lot of people who had addiction issues. So it hit close to home. Um, and so I 
specifically sought out an internship that had that. And um, while I was there, when I realized I had to start working full time, I eventually got a job there and you know moved up to management over the years and all that. I realized I needed to do a dissertation that included my clients at work, you know, because there was no way I was going to be able to do recruit people outside of it or have the time or bandwidth. So how could I create a, a study based on what I'm already doing? And be set free fast was a technique that I had learned at that first conference with Dr. Larry Nims, who's amazing. And um, he agreed to be on my committee and help me construct this study, working with this clientele I was already working with, the duly diagnosed means with an addictive disorder as well as a mental health condition. And so what I found in the study was a small, I mean, we would call it a pilot study, but basically um, the Be Set Free Fast group got that technique in the individual therapy sessions of which they had 10 across, you know, like a three month span uh, versus a group that had regular talk, supportive talk therapy. And then we looked at um, various measures of the severity of their addiction, their mental health symptomology and their level of self-esteem. And I got statistically significant results that showed that the Be Set Free Fast group um, did get uh, better results that were maintained at follow-up, which was like three months later, um, more so than the control group. And um, it happened to be that the Be Set Free Fast group actually was a more severely mentally health impaired group. Like I had more schizophrenic type diagnoses and bipolar, you know, more severe conditions than I did in the control group. So I think that makes it even more powerful. You know, fast forward now, however many years it's been, 15 years, and that's the population I'm still working with. I'm the clinical director at a women's dual diagnosis treatment program where now, you know, everyone, the staff, the clients, they all learn be set free fast. They learn EFT tapping. We do some access consciousness stuff. They get, we have Reiki there. I mean, I got to design a program based on like all these tools that I love and use and have found so helpful and was able to create that, you know, in a clinic, which is cool. Well, you summarized it very nicely. Um, I, I know that um, you had mentioned elsewhere on your website that you believe that self-esteem is one of the underlying issues that you are seeing and a commonality between and among all of your clients. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, you thinking and, and believing that self-esteem is at the core of, of some of the, um, I wouldn't say necessarily problems, but issues that people come to you about? Yeah, actually, I would distill it down even further and say it's about the subconscious beliefs you hold about yourself. And most of us are functioning from core false beliefs mm -hmm. and um, judgment itself, self-judgment or judgment in general is the greatest source of human suffering. Mm -hmm. And so people are judging themselves usually with this, like a core false belief of I'm not enough. Um, I don't deserve to be happy. You know, something along those lines um, with, that's driving everything they're creating in their life because your point of view creates your reality. So if you believe those things to be true, even if in your like conscious or cognitive mind, you're saying, no, I really do want to be successful. I really do want to get off drugs and alcohol. If you've got a subconscious program that's saying otherwise, um, you're not going to be able to be successful. You will continuously sabotage yourself. Um, and the problem with traditional talk therapy is it's like a dog chasing its tail you're, you may get the awareness that you have those beliefs, but you're not actually able to change the energy of them 
with just this part of your mind, because usually there's all these emotions and traumas associated with it, with why those beliefs came into play in the first place. That's the more primitive parts of your brain. You know, that's your mammalian brain and your lizard brain or reptilian brain. Now we know with brain science, we know so much more about how all that works. We actually understand better how energy psychology works. With some of the techniques I'm using, you're addressing the amygdala. You're addressing the emotional center of the brain. You're also addressing where trauma and emotions are stuck in the body. That's what's required to shift the energy of those beliefs is doing these other approaches. And that really has been a theme throughout my work. And I even have a book coming out, hopefully this fall, called What If You're Not As Effed Up As You Think You Are, <laughs> which is all about was, that, right? Like how our beliefs come to come into play and how we can change them. Right. I, I like the uh, title of the book. And the first thing that came to mind when you were describing that was it's more than just self-talk, because if you don't thoroughly believe and truly believe uh, what you're saying, that's all it is, is just talk. It's not going to make any changes in your mind as well. So it's, it's interesting that you brought that up and it's a different viewpoint instead of positive, you know, self-reinforcement or positive self-talk, you have to get at the root of it first before you start talking about that. Well, I believe his name is Nathaniel Brandon. I thought his book over there somewhere. Yeah. Um, wrote a book called Self-Esteem that I actually studied, you know, for my dissertation and wrote about. And he ended up speaking at an energy psychology conference. And I remember he distinctively said, like, self-esteem will not change until you address the negative beliefs. Like all the affirmations in the world aren't going to do anything when that negative belief is still in there, um, holding the energetic or emotional charge. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you have to get to self-acceptance first before self-esteem can arise. Right, right. right. And a lot of people are missing that step and they're just yeah. skip it. Yeah. So I, I know that you mentioned Catholic charities. Uh, I believe you were there for almost 12 years or a little over 12 years. And you did a lot of work there. You, you actually used um, the patients there um, for your dissertation. You mentioned mm -hmm. what other things were the most impactful during your experience with Catholic charities? I think it was in San Jose, California. Well, I had the choice when you, when it's time to do an internship or practicum, um, a lot of people will say, try all different things. Um, and early on at Catholic Charities, I was in like three different programs because I wanted to do that. I was working with kids. I was um, working with adults. It was like a really diverse and, and the chemical dependency dual diagnosis program. And then I narrowed it down to dual diagnosis because that's when I liked. And then I got hired to work there full time, you know, and then it went from there. But so I, rather than taking a broad approach, I actually took a deep dive and really specialized in addiction and dual diagnosis treatment, which primed me well for leadership positions, not just at Catholic Charities, but beyond that, right? So I had the expertise to then be hired at like other rehab programs in these, like at a pretty young stage of my career, like kind of just straight out of grad school. Um, so I thought that that deep dive was useful. And in like when I train interns now, you know, cause I've obviously done a lot of that in my career is supervised interns is I, I ask them to make a conscious choice around that. Like if you already know what you want to specialize in, go for it and take that deep dive. But if you're not sure what kind of population, then by all means take a broad approach and try different settings, like work in a school, work in a clinic, there's a huge difference between nonprofit and for-profit. I made that jump at one point and that was like dramatically different. 
Um, try the different, sample it all. It's like a buffet, sample it all until you get clarity around who and what you like working with. But for me, it was clear early on. So I appreciate that I got to stay with one place for a long time, get the expertise, kind of go up the ladder, so to speak, get into a management position. And then really what happened is they couldn't afford to pay me anymore once I was a licensed psychologist. And I wanted out of the peninsula, you know, down there, I wanted to move up to the city anyways. And so that was a good time for me to really go try something different. Well, I applaud you for uh, almost uh, um, reading my mind, because my next question was, what advice would you have for those who want to enter and move up within these type of jobs? You already mentioned, yeah, take that conscious approach and think, well, do you know what you want to specialize in? If not, then do that broad approach, because based on your Vita or your work uh, experience, I see that you work your way up from intern, as you said, to program manager, to director of outpatient services at Marin Services for Women in, um, is it Green Bray, Green Brea, California? Green Bray. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's very good advice. Anything else comes to mind for um, uh, graduate students who want to move up in different positions? Uh, I think you need to be real with yourself about whether or not you have like the administrative skill set and interest, because there's a lot of great clinicians out there that are horrible administrators. And that's notorious in our field. Very few people actually have the business sense um, and or who like it, like doing the business side of things. I was somebody who was really good at both. And I also have some natural leadership skills. So it came really easily for me. But if you don't like managing people, or if you're not super organized and like doing the paperwork. I mean, because, you know, when you're an administrator, you're deep in audits, you're like dealing with budgets. I mean, a lot of it is not fun for folks. Um, and it wasn't always fun for me, but I was good at it. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to be honest with yourself around, like, do you lean more towards just wanting to do clinical work? Uh, the other thing I realized along the way was, you know, I said I liked, you know, I, I thought early on I would want to do more research research is an ordeal too. I'm like not interested in that. I just recently published a paper actually at someone's request for the energy psychology journal about um, our work at the rehab with energy psychology. And it was bringing me flashbacks of writing my dissertation. I'm back in the APA manual. Like, does the comma go here? And if I have more than five authors, it's too much form and structure for where I'm at. And like at the stage of my career, it's too confining and it's not interesting to me. So I, I like research is great, but it's not my wheelhouse anymore. <laughs> well, everybody has their own niche and I'm glad that you uh, realize that, but you know, it, 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 it uh, speaks to your um, experience and your coaching ability where somebody pleaded for you to go ahead and, and get that published and get that out there for everybody else to uh, benefit from. I know in 2012, you, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, you decided to leave and then go into uh, practice full time. What led you to make that decision uh, and that change? I was burnt out. I, I mean, look, addiction work, dual diagnosis work is like not easy. And I had what, 12 years of it at that point. Um, I was burnt out. Um, it's very intense. It's a huge amount of trauma. You have to really be mindful of vicarious traumatization, compassion fatigue, all that kind of stuff. Um, I realized along the way, I'm an empath. I'm a highly sensitive person. I was taking, that was part of why I was so sick actually, because I was constantly taking on the pain and suffering of others. Um, so that was going on. And there was some 
toxic work environments, bad leadership. I was tired of that. I didn't want to be part of that anymore. So yeah, I said, I, it's time for me to be my own boss. My income almost doubled, I think, in that first year when I did that, because I'd also hit a ceiling with kind of like, you know, once you get to like a clinical director position or, you know, director position, there's no really where else for you to go and still have any kind of clinical, you could be an executive director, but then you're really not doing any clinical work. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be a straight administrator. So private practice gave me a repeat. It increased my income and it let me do what I wanted. At that point, I was like, I'm sick of doing what everyone else wants me to do, whether it was the agency itself and the leadership or whether it was like third-party documentation, you know, it was insurance companies, it was Medi-Cal. I was sick of all of it and I just wanted to be my own boss. So for five years, I kind of hid out in my office and just did what I wanted one-on-one with clients. And that was great. And um, I didn't ever think that would happen because I liked being, I always liked working collaboratively on a team I like working with other people and I like the diversity of an, of an agency job because I do admin, I do training and supervision of interns. I did get to do some clinical work myself. I run groups. It's like, it keeps it interesting for me, right? Cause I get bored otherwise if I'm just doing one thing. Um, and then, you know, somebody who had taken some workshops with me had uh, told me she's starting her own rehab and she would love me to teach an energy psychology group there. And that sort of morphed into, oh, and until we get a clinical director hired full time, can you just be our interim clinical directors? We get launched. And that was four years ago. And I'm still the clinical director because I like what I'm able to do there. I was able to create a whole program around, you know, some of the best techniques and um, creating curricula and hiring people and training them to do this work. And we just get such amazing results because, you know, and I'd always had a vision somewhere in the back of my mind that I was going to um, have my own center someday. And, and I'm working on that too. There's mm-hmm. something in the works around that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something earlier that I want to get back on because uh, our touch base back on um, the business aspect of, of running a business. And what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced when you did go into private practice full-time and then uh, had to wear multiple hats. You had to be a psychologist. You had to be an administrator. You had to be clinical director, um, PR manager. What were some of the biggest challenges for you when you went through that experience? Well, they don't teach you in grad school how to run a business, um, unfortunately, and they should. Uh, luckily in massage school, I actually had a business class where we had to do a business plan. And we, I, so I got, I had had some education around that. Um, but I think that's really important and missing in, a, in most programs. And again, most, most people don't like marketing themselves. I didn't like it either. Um, but I was lucky in that when I left, it was a very calculated move to leave my last rehab job. I had enough clientele that I knew would come with me so that I knew I could make it financially in the beginning. But it's nerve wracking. I mean, it's ebb and flow. Um, there's sometimes cycles and sometimes not. You, you can't really predict in one month what your income is going to be. And one of the worst parts of it, honestly, is you lose the benefits. You no longer get paid vacations. So now, even now, all these years later, like somebody just said to me the other day, like, you're so busy. Why don't you take a day off? Right? Because a day off is going to cost me X amount of dollars. I know exactly how much money I'm going to lose if I take a day off. Um, so not, and when you go on vacation, 
not only are you, is it the cost of your vacation, but you're losing all that income that you're not making. And so that's a hook that can hook you a little bit, you know? Um, and I think a lot of our, a lot of us sometimes find ourselves, you know, hustling a bit and um, that can feel uncomfortable. Or now since COVID, it's like the weird opposite problem where the practice is full and I have a wait list. I have to say no to people and that's been strange. So it's, feast or famine, you know, it's, it can be inconsistent um, until you really, I mean, I've been doing private practice now for 11, 11 years-ish, probably, or maybe, I don't know, nine, 10 years, something somewhere in there, I lost track, but um, it's definitely been an ebb and flow. Now it's an, I'm in a stronger position. And I think it's because I've also gone outside the box a little bit. And so, um, and I have like hired people. Now I have, I pay people a lot of money <laughs> to do like PR marketing type things, my social media. I mean, I'm doing something beyond what I think most therapists in private practice are doing. So in retrospect, if you had to do it again, what kind of advice would you give yourself or other people if they wanted to uh, start their own business? Obviously, learn more about how to run a business. Anything else? Hire people to do it for you. Hire people to do the parts <laughs> that you're not good at and that you don't like doing. And if you do take, like, if you take insurance and you don't like dealing with the billing process, hire somebody to do it for you. If you're bad at promoting yourself, then hire somebody to do it for you. Um, and a lot of things, I, I, I thought the people who started in grad school with like a private practice, um, I forget what they call it, like being a psych assistant or whatever. Um, I thought those people had a harder time. I mean, yeah, they learned how to develop a practice, but they never made the connections. Like so much of my success comes from like word of mouth. Like my referrals come word of mouth because I'm known in my community because I've worked at agencies. And I know the rehab community and the addiction therapists and stuff like that. When you are only in private practice from the beginning, you kind of miss out on that. I also felt like those people missed out on their time in the trenches, like working in a psych hospital, working in group homes with adolescents, working in group homes with severely mentally ill people showed me like that work was really hard, but it also showed me how severe like mental illness can be. And I'm, I think if you're doing like a private practice with, with like the worried well, or, you know, a higher functioning population, you kind of miss out on that training and experience. That's just my interesting point of view about it. Um, so I don't know, just like ask people, if you're not sure, seek out mentorship, seek out guidance from people in the field and um, try different things until you get clarity on what it is that's, you know, going to work for you. Very good advice. Thank you. We talked about energy psychology earlier. Now I'd like to uh, switch and talk about access consciousness. And while you're talking about that, I'll bring up the website with your page on, on this topic as well. Okay. Access consciousness is a modality that's been around maybe 30, 35 years now, 30 years now. Um, not a psycho not really developed by psychologists or mental health practitioners, although there are a number of them who use these tools, um, but uh, developed by like a regular guy and uh, later on a chiropractor who um, were looking to empower people and who had tried a whole bunch of techniques under the sun and discovered that this combination of hands-on energy work 
and verbal facilitation was creating a lot of change for people. And I just loved like the tagline, you know, empowering people to know that they know that's so in alignment, you know, with how I see things. I'm not here to fix you or heal you. I'm just a catalyst to your own healing. And my, you know, I have a lot of tools and questions to offer you that um, many of which come from access because they're really simple, basic tools uh, that I've found super helpful in working with clients. So yeah, I love doing that work. It kind of like infiltrates everything that I'm doing in the book that's coming out has a lot of access tools in it. I know that I actually, when I went to a chiropractor, um, he would actually use, you know, touch points on my body and not only my head, but certain parts of my body during the therapy. And at first I wasn't, I said, what are you doing? You know, and other than, you know, correcting my spine and everything else, he was doing other things to test, to see. And now that I see this, it kind of makes a little bit more sense that, um, that's probably what, uh, he was doing even back then. Um, it's an interesting area. I, I really found it, uh, um, fascinating to, to look at each of your different websites, you know, uh, web pages on your website. Um, the other thing that kind of stood out since I'm on the website right now is, you know, your services and your modalities. And, uh, of course you have the traditional psychology and then the energy and access, and then let's move over to the talk to entities and tell me a little bit more about that, because that is something a little bit different that many people may not even be aware of or even heard of yet. Right. So, um, yeah, talk to the entities. So I'm the therapist that talks to dead people. Um, you know, it's funny because, uh, so it's a specialty, it's actually a specialty of access consciousness, um, where you're applying the same basic tools. They've been, you know, applied across a variety of areas. And the stepdaughter of Gary Douglas, the guy who founded access happens to be a psychic and a medium. And she struggled her whole life with her awareness of, of spirits. And, um, it kind of drove her nuts. She tried to numb it with drugs and alcohol as a young adult. And, um, she basically was on the track of what she said toward like becoming schizophrenic, uh, because she was struggling so much with all the different things she was aware of and didn't have any way to manage it until she went to her stepdad and he gave her, he taught her how to apply the tools to that specific, um, area. And so really what it is, is a set of tools and classes, um, to teach people how to, um, have more ease with their awareness of the spirit world. Everybody has the capacity to talk to or communicate with spirits, clear them, communicate, receive from them, collaborate with them. It's a whole area that's ironically, you know, was sort of talked about in grad school. And then I found myself getting involved with um, this organization called ACIST, A-C-I-S-T-E, the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences. Um, which includes things like after they call it after death communication, right? With being people who have passed or other types of beings, not just people who are human um, and things like near death experiences, out of body experiences, the whole psychedelic um, profound, like, you know, experiences induced by psychedelic assisted therapies, all of that, um, which was all stuff that was, we were talking about at ITP. And in fact, like assists president when I went and spoke at their conference a couple of years ago was a graduate of ITP and, and a lot of people in that organization ended up, you know, affiliated with that. So um, I got involved with them and there is an increasing, they, they have a certification program 
So now I have a certification in assisting people with these spiritually transformative experiences, which can turn into spiritual, we call it also spiritual emergence. Um, it can turn into spiritual emergency when people have these inexplicable experiences that there is no real context for in traditional mental health treatment and um, can be misdiagnosed as things like psychosis, depression, anxiety, a Kundalini awakening, right? Can create a lot of discomfort in the body. And so we work with people around integrating those experiences and um, you know, helping them with whatever their new, these new doors that are, have opened for them, which has been really cool. It's kind of like come around full circle to my work at ITP. So all of that, um, has been, yeah, definitely outside the box, but way applicable to a lot of what I'm doing, even at rehab, because so many people in who are using drugs and alcohol are trying to numb their awareness of a lot of things. They're often empaths, highly sensitive people, and they're not only picking up on the thoughts and feelings and even physical things with people in bodies, they're picking it up with people without bodies. So it's really interesting stuff. It actually sounds like it. When I read more about the, I, I had never heard of uh, talk to the entities before. And so I actually read about it on your website and then other, other places as well. And you, you mentioned assist and uh, I, I did find that um, um, you actually, as you mentioned, I think you were certified as a mental health professional um, working with the spiritually transformative experiences, experiences STEs. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting to me as well. I guess the one question that comes to mind after hearing about all this and looking at all this is there are so many different approaches uh, and therapies out there when working with clients. How do you know which ones to use and which ones are going to be beneficial or impactful for your client? I ask a question and I follow my intuitive awareness and follow the energy. Okay. Sometimes it's dictated by what the client is open to. I definitely have had clients who really came for this one modality and they really just want to use that and that's fine. Um, but mostly I get people that just want change and they're open to whatever and they're into all this like woo -woo weirder stuff. So that's really fun for me um, because I get to be, you know, like um, I get to be an artist with it really. Or like, I, I don't know, the, the image that comes is of a chef who's like in the kitchen playing with different ingredients and like creating this like, you know, amazing um, meal, you know, like I have so many ingredients to choose from, like it never gets boring. And I'm a lifelong student. I'm always learning new techniques and modalities and brain spotting is a new one. And only in the last couple of years and I'm loving it. I love the results we're getting with folks, especially with trauma, with this brain spotting stuff. It's super cool. So that leads me to my next question. Uh, two things. Number one is we'll talk about what brain spotting is in a second. But um, out of all these modalities uh, that you have listed on your website and the other services, out of those modalities, uh, which one do you tend to use the most and, and why? I, I actually wouldn't. I, I don't even know if I can answer that because I'm not sure there is one. Um, I think access is more of a foundation and sort of a philosophy, if you will, that sort of weaves its way through all of it. Um, but it really varies. Like, like, I mean, this computer right now is propped on a massage table that lives in my office. So, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, people would come in and I might do like hands-on energy work with them while I'm doing verbal facilitation. 
At the rehab, we do a lot of tapping, EFT, because those people's nervous systems are so constantly in a state of fight, flight, freeze. Um, there are different things I do in groups versus individuals. It's every session is different every day. And that's what I like about it. I would get really bored if I was primarily only using one technique. Right. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you need to have that variety. Now let's talk about uh, brain spotting a little bit. Um, it's, it's obviously newer than some of these other techniques that are out there, but you are a certified uh, or you're a brain spotting practitioner. Tell me if I didn't know anything about it, if we act like I didn't re do the research, I'm just asking you, what is brain spotting? It almost sounds like train spotting. What, what, what is brain spotting? Yeah. Uh, brain spotting is derived from EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, a trauma, primarily trauma treatment. It, you can work with other things as well. It's been around for like, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And brain spotting um, is actually about 18 years old now. It was developed by a psychologist named David Grant, who was an EMDR therapist. And um, if you know, it has a lot to do, EMDR has a lot to do with left brain, right brain processing, and often like moving your finger across a, the client's visual field. Um, and instead of doing the movement he had with one of his clients, he noticed that when he had, uh, there was one spot where her eyes started like wobbling and she just had this like very visceral reaction and he had her hang out on that one spot. And that's mm -hmm. how it, he came up with the term, the brain spot, because there's something about um, your eye, your ocular nerve connects back to your amygdala, which is the emotional fight, flight, free center of your brain. It activates that response. And it also, um, uh, you know, connects to the vagus nerve, which, you know, now we know with polyvagal theory, we know that that's a big part of what's like causing people to get activated with fight, flight, freeze. So people who had a lot of trauma, right? Like can't think straight. They're like driven by their emotions. They're in this constant state of agitation or they're shut down in dissociation and checked out They're in the freeze response. And um, he found that when he had her fixed and she was like, like an ice skater, you know, and couldn't land a certain jump. And when she fixed her gaze on that one spot for like 45 minutes, this whole torrent of a material traumatic material came out about her mom and abuse and whatever and after she processed all that she felt better and the next day after not being able to land some jump for for years she was able to do it and never had a problem again so that's kind of how and then he's a new yorker and 9 11 happened and then he got to work with like hundreds if not thousands of people that were impacted by that that's how he kind of perfected his technique and now there's I don't know, over 10,000 practitioners brain-wide, uh, brain-spotting brain practitioners worldwide. Um, and so uh, I've just, like in the last couple of years, really taken to it and I'm using it a lot at the rehab and a lot in my private practice. And not just with trauma, you can use it for, like, just like with tapping, you can use it for positive things too, like performances, improving performance, um, expanding and, and strengthening spiritual experiences, you know, like, um, accessing more of that. I mean, there's so many applications of it. It's really interesting. I also noticed on your website that you have a um, products page. So I, I want to share that with the uh, audience because a wide variety of products on here you have, as you have listed here, free calls, te recorded telecalls. Tell me a little bit more about what those telecalls are. They 
they were just different, you know, periodically I offer freebies, you know, on a topic that maybe I find interesting. Yeah. Who or what is driving you crazy? Um, and then I also do classes, right? Paid classes. And often if I think the class turned out well, I will turn it into a product and then sell it um, on the website. So people who missed the class can actually uh, get, get that again after the fact. So that's what, that's what those are. Okay. And then I see that you have some talk to the entities uh, um, available here as well. Yep. There's, um, we do and talk to the entities, we have intro and beginning classes, and there's these specialty classes like mental disorders and entities or entities and addiction. Yes. And I've started doing things in other languages. I'm getting mm -hmm. translation into other languages because the business is growing and going worldwide. So that's been fun. That's sure. all taking it to a whole nother level too, you know, in terms <laughs> of the back end stuff of, offering translation in multiple languages. Right, right. No, I, I that's the first time I've seen some of this uh, offered in, in different uh, languages as well. And then what you're calling these audio clearing loops um, are, are interesting because I know a lot of my friends love having that white noise in the background when they try to focus or concentrate or some of them have uh, specifically when they go to bed, they have something that uh, they play as well. So it looks yeah. like you're offering that here. Yeah, these are um, clearings, access consciousness clearings. So um, asking a question, bringing up a certain energy, and then using a very specific clearing statement to clear those energies. Um, so yeah, I have one specific to anxiety. And mourning is kind of like, in it, the sort of the vibe of it is like clearing all that yesterday was and like, what do I want to create today? And um, what would it take for today to turn out greater than I could imagine? And you know, just body things and, and money things and just inviting more abundance and, you know, things kind of like setting a positive tone for your day. Sure. And then for our audience and, and even some of your current or prospective clients, I'll, I'll kind of switch over. You have your own podcast as well. And you have some of the recent ones. Now, this recent one that was actually uh, on here, I started listening to that a little bit. And then you also have it listed on some of your social media right yeah. here as well. And so tell me, I'm just curious for my own edification, the healing power of the scalar light. Tell me what, what that's about. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so I interviewed this guy who is um, has developed this technology based on really Nikola Tesla's work. Um, in the, it's very quantum, you know, a lot of these like modalities are very much at the forefront of like where science and spirituality meet in this quantum realm, um, where they're, you know, like we're energetically, we're all connected and time and distance isn't even an issue. Um, it's really fascinating stuff. And, uh, he's developed this technology where, uh, they take photograph, like you send them a photograph of yourself and it like the, the device is beaming this scalar energy, which is different than electromagnetic energy. And he explains all that in the podcast. And um, that it's basically like the energy of healing. It's what like we're doing with Reiki or any kind of hands-on work. Um, and he's found a way to transmit it again in this quantum kind of way by beaming that energy at the photograph, this healing energy, it actually creates healing in the person's body and field and all of that, much like the prayer to distance stuff. And there's actually a huge, people don't realize there's a huge body of research on all these things. Um, it's not just like woo woo stuff. Like there's actually science behind it. And I would highly recommend if you're interested, IONS is a great organization. The Institute of Noetic Sciences, they're a great organization that is doing a ton of really innovative 
um, really strongly scientifically, like rigorously sound studies on psi phenomenon. Um, so Dean Radin, you know, who's written a number of books really is at the forefront of that research. And they've, they've got some cool stuff out there, including cool. stuff about like channeling and mediumship and like after death communication, like all of that stuff as well. I mean, there's so many like thousands of documented cases of that stuff. So yeah, they've done some really interesting studies there. It sounds like it. Um, I, you know, I'm just speaking from my personal experience, but if I hear something that sounds kind of out there, voodoo type of thing or something like that, you, you almost automatically dismiss it because it's not in the mainstream. Yeah. And, you know, we have to remember that a lot of things weren't in the mainstream and it took time uh, for them to become mainstream. So a lot of these are becoming more mainstream. I remember when um, you putting the needles into acupuncture was, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And, and now yeah. it's actually more accepted. And that's been around for centuries in other cultures and thousands, uh, 5,000 yes. years. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yoga, right? Like yoga mm -hmm. is like the, so trendy now, but it wasn't when I was a kid, you right, know, right. so it was for hippy dippy people. <laughs> right. So you, you've discussed a lot of things you're keeping busy. And like you mentioned a couple of times, you, you have to keep busy because, uh, Otherwise, you're going to get bored and, and the variety of your jobs are, are uh, what keeps you going every day. So if you had to narrow it down, what do you love most about your job? Empowering people, empowering people to know, empowering people with these tools and techniques that allow them to change anything in their life that's not working. Whether it's a coaching client, a therapy client, whether you're so effed up, you ended up in rehab or whether you're already like really successful and want to just hit the next level, like the tools are the same. I use the same tools with all my clients and they all create change, profound change. I think people sometimes don't realize like they come to me for this like one issue. And then here we are five years later, like working on like everything in their life, everything in their life has, has changed. We've covered so many different areas. It isn't always like that. But I definitely have long-term clients who we've worked on every single thing in their life and their life is completely different in like really amazing, like magical, miraculous ways. And so empowering people to know they're not effed up, empowering them with these tools that can change anything, that to me is my greatest joy. And it happens across a variety of formats and settings. What are some of your plans, future plans and goals? I know you mentioned that you wanted to have a clinic or you wanted to have something else out there, but what are some of your future plans? Um, I'm working on uh, developing my own trauma treatment center um, where we're going to take the best of the best and bring them there. I would love you know, to be able to travel the world more. COVID's kind of put a stunt on that. I have done that in the past and facilitating classes and workshops. I'd love to do like more retreats, like going to beautiful places and creating a healing space where we bring in all different modalities and, you know, like good food and just like nature. I mean, there's so much healing in nature, you know, more of that. Um, love to grow the podcast and get these tools out there in the hands of more professionals. Train, I like training and working with professionals too, right? So that they also know that this stuff is out there and how they can use it with their clients. Um, and just creating more consciousness in, in the world. We live, we're living in some pretty intense times. There's a lot of crazy stuff. We're in a revolutionary time. I really think things are shifting in a massive way on this planet right now. And it's really uncomfortable for people. 
So like supporting people through that process, it's also a very traumatic time. So I think it's very apt for the center to come into existence um at this you know in the in this near future and then the book you know like where what will the book create and where will mm -hmm. that go so yeah I have, a, I have a few other kind of fun questions that i ask uh, most of my guests here one of them is going to be challenging for you based on uh, talking with you for about an hour here now first question is what is your favorite term principle or theory and why i think what i said earlier about um like from traditional Chinese medicine, that the body has the capacity to heal itself. We have the capacity to heal ourselves if we're just given the right tools. It doesn't come from an external thing. It doesn't come from a pill or some other, you know, thing like that can be part of it, but it, it like it, the healing comes from within, you know, that's what, and we have to just, and um, there's a roomy quote on one of my website pages. Your task is not to seek for love but to seek the barriers, to remove the barriers you, you put up to it, you know, like mm -hmm. I love that. And like another Rumi quote, beyond all ideas of right doing and wrongdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. That really speaks to the like judgment being the greatest source of human suffering. I think to me, those principles, it's not like cognitive behavioral therapy or psychodynamic, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, I use all that. And I think there's some great theories out there, but it's more that, that those nuggets of wisdom that really, um, speak to me the most that especially the ones that are in an empowerment, you know, field. And speaking of wisdom, um, I usually ask what is something new that you have learned recently? I think the brain spotting and, and really a lot more about the science, like the science of trauma, polyvagal theory, like we didn't really know all that we didn't under with tapping in the beginning, it was much more about the chi and the energy flow. And now we know like the neurotransmitters are getting affected and this part of the brain's impact. And we put people's brains under MRIs and we can see, you know, what's happening and how these techniques are actually changing the brain's function. We're rewiring brains. I think the science part has been newer um, as we've developed the technology to be able to measure people's brain waves and different things. You know what I've, I've learned um, on, from two different guests, previous guests, is one, the healing therapy of working with horses. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the electrical um, pulses that uh, uh, radiate from the horse actually help heal us. That's one interesting thing that I learned. The other one was uh, being able to walk around on the ground without any shoes or socks and, yeah. and having that connection and that healing uh, flowing through the earth up into your body. That A lot of these things you almost take for granted. Everybody... Um, just always wear shoes, uh, take them off and, and walk in the grass. That's why a lot of people are saying that. So it's interesting. Um, is it fair to say I, I, I enjoyed talking to you? Um, one thing that I'd like our audience to kind of recognize is that here is an example of somebody with a PhD who did a lot of different things to help, uh, help herself. And then, um, it shows that you don't have to go that traditional route of just going that uh, traditional client uh, um, practice um, um, route. You can incorporate all these other things uh, into your clinic or into your, you know, you, you're working toward having a center to bring everything in as well. So I think this is a very good example. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to talk with me today. Are there, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss or bring up in the podcast? 
also though being willing to go outside the bounds of the traditional model also increases your financial prospects. Um, I make more money than the average therapist, um, partially because I have branched out in the ways that I have. You hit a ceiling, you know, with how much you can charge as a therapist and how many hours a week you have to provide individual therapy. So creating things like workshops, products, um, books, like there's all these other venues that have like infinite potential coaching where there's no, like the prices are so, you know, arbitrary and anybody can set any kind of price that you can sell packages. I mean, there's like so many financial possibilities as well um, that go way beyond the traditional, you know, fee for service model. So to let people know that that's also available as well, that you could, you could make a lot of money at this if you're willing to explore other avenues. Well, thank you for that summary. I, I have one final question. When are you going to take a Dave off? <laughs> yeah, I, need to, I need to work on that. Um, it's been a few weeks without a day off. So um, it will be not this coming weekend because I'm te teaching a workshop, but the following weekend, I will get a day off. And I actually just uh, was in Mexico not long ago. I did have 10, I was there for a workshop and then I was there for seven extra days and um, did a little bit of working, but not so bad being on a zoom call with the ocean behind you um right. you know in a shorts and a t-shirt so i didn't mind working a couple of days from there but yeah so i am i am doing that and i'm a work in progress <laughs> all right well good self-reflection and, and uh, uh being true to yourself i'm glad that uh you're gonna have some time off i did see you're doing a lot of workshops in in october and into november as well and, and part of september so you're obviously keeping busy Again, I appreciate you taking the time, Adriana, uh, speaking with us. Uh, it's been a thrill for me to learn a little bit more about these techniques and how you've applied your PhD uh, to your business today. So I appreciate you taking the time. I wish you well, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Brad. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guest or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.